From Washington, this is the Macrocast, a podcast brought to you by Penta and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. You're listening to the Macrocast. I'm Strang Curtin, a partner here at Penta, joined as always by John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners. And this week, we have a couple of special guests. We have John Dick from Civic Science and Bri odeon Estene, founder of SW4 Insights. We have lots to talk about, but I think, you know, the breaking news right now is jobs report and what a jobs report. Um, what are we seeing in the numbers? It was a huge surprise, kind of all the, the the leading up data kind of suggested, not that it was going to be a terrible one, but, you know, maybe 100,000. Um, and it was 517,000. Part of that was was government, but still the, the private was, you know, 443,000. And Brian, the only explanation I has is that, that Chelsea hired everybody because they're spending <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> I mean, but, we do have a lot of money to burn this month, so it's, it's, it's not pretty fascinating how much money you have to burn. <laughs> um, but the uh, uh, most of the the hiring was in the private uh, service uh, sector. Um, you know, people are are going back out and uh, and doing things. Uh, but most importantly, beyond the, the, the fact that there was a huge uh, jobs number. We got a bunch of revisions for 2022, and most people thought that those revisions would be negative, and they weren't. Uh, we actually had a a net positive uh, revision for uh, 2022. So, in terms of the um, employment, uh, the the labor sector in the, in America, it's it's pretty strong. But most fascinatingly, uh, we didn't see a huge increase in wages. Um, so it it. We might be in that scenario where we have the Goldilocks, where you know we we're still creating jobs, but uh, you know inflation's not getting out of control. What do you guys see? What about the, the so they changed the uh, the data, right? There was some sort of adjustment that was made um, in the statistics, and you know what the the way that markets react. Obviously, you know you're seeing Treasury yields jump, and uh, and yeah. this is uh, and and. Equities, although, you know, everybody's hoping that there's a soft landing and the equity market has been positive and upbeat so far this year on expectations that, you know, perhaps we're going to avoid a, a, a recession entirely this year. This sort of feeds that narrative. Uh, but at the same time, it also sort of <laughs> creates a creates concern that the Fed might have more tightening to do. So uh, right. so we do see that sort of reflexive, you know, equities don't, you know, the, the initial reaction, the knee jerk reaction from equities is negative. Uh, but when you have, you know, what tends to be the the, you know, when you when you see a number that's so outside of consensus like yeah. this, <laughs> it does tend to get discounted. Um, by by market participants, they start peering through, so, you know, the, whether it's the adjustments or, you know, and you begin to try to, you know, find something, something in the underlying uh, statistics that that uh, bring you back to, you know, a, a trend kind of uh, pattern in, in jobs. Most most of the, you know, surveys have shown, you know, some resilience in the labor market, but not like a blowout in hiring. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think that there's a you know the 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 knee jerk reaction aside in markets, there's going to be some discounting of of what the you know emphasis uh, you know what the real significance of this number is. Yeah, like the the Nasdaq's down two percent, but it was up three percent yesterday. So you got to keep things in perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and this, I mean, I'd have to imagine this gets revised next month and probably downwards. I'd be shocked if it got if it got revised upwards. So, you know, definitely definitely take this with a pinch of salt. 
Um, but also to the point Brendan made about wages not rising in kind, um, it also makes me think that, you know, we saw the conference board release consumer confidence data this week and consumer confidence is down, right? So I I, I feel like, yes, people are, are, are finding jobs, but there's not a lot of confidence out there in the economy or economic prospects in terms of like the inflation issue and the high prices people are dealing with. And yeah. if, if their wages and salaries are not rising to match price increases, regardless of whether someone has a job or not, you're going to cut back on certain things if you're worried about the future, mm-hmm. right? Well, we're pretty lucky because we actually have a guy that does this for a living. John, <laughs> John what, what are you, are you seeing? Well, I mean, this is just like the Long Island iced tea of macroeconomic right? <laughs> It's like, you know, the, the mix of signals is just crazy. Um, you know, we were when I was with you guys a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we knew that we knew that what the conference board was going to say because we we generally lead it a couple of weeks with the ESI, and it was down again. The last we just had another reading on Wednesday. It was down slightly again, um, which you know the head scratcher, I guess, at, at face value, is that confidence in finding a new job fell uh, over the last two weeks. Now, keep in mind that the way we track that is a forward-looking indicator. We're asking people, do we believe, do they believe it's going to get harder or easier to find a job, right? And look, when you've got a, now a half million new people getting jobs, guess what? There's yeah. jobs that's going to get harder to find a job, right? You know, and 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 I think the, the, the conventional um, maybe theory there would be that, oh, people are seeing like headlines of, you know, these huge tech companies laying off 10,000, 20,000 people, but that's mm-hmm. not affecting these, you know, the service categories. And, and, and frankly, you know, Microsoft laid off 10,000 people, but they'd hired 40,000 last year. So we're still like in, in the net in the, in, you know, definitely in the black there. Yeah. And um, so many of those uh, layoffs are in, in like sales. It, it's not like programmers. Right. They're still hoarding those as much as right in HR and places like that. Right. And so, but 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 I think why we're seeing some softening and job optimism among consumers just may very well because because they're like, look, there's fewer jobs open. And yeah. that's and that's the thing. Now the other side of the ESI, which is more on the spending and personal finance side, that that uh that fell a good bit. That fell the almost two full points in the last two weeks. And we usually see that right around this time of the year because it's when the Christmas credit card bills show up and home eating <laughs> costs, costs, costs. Yeah, and home yeah. eating costs are up. And uh and so so we I, I'm not gonna overreact to it because there's a bit of seasonality to that, but it also just makes a lot of sense. I mean, eventually inflation was gonna grind away at all this stockpiled household savings people accrued over the last two and a half years. And so, um, you know, we're not by any means anywhere near the sort of ESI bottom we saw last June when sort of inflation was really shocking everybody and spooking them. Um, but, you know, it's tenuous, I would say, on the spending side. Consumers are cutting back on some staples in the grocery store, making some some sacrifices here and there. Um, yeah. And you're seeing that in the, uh, the, the earnings uh, calls, you know, like p- things are doing fine, but, you know, like, the consumer is pulling back and, and small businesses are, are, are pulling back a little bit on, on spending, you know, not, not like in the world, but you're being cautious. Yeah. Sure. Well, and, and, you know, we're still seeing the shift toward experience or what, you know, yeah. this type of spending. And, and, you know, maybe these are people saying, look, I'm going to, I'm going to cut back a bit right now, but I'm, because I want to plan a vacation this summer. I mean, we'll have to see, yeah. we're, we're a little bit early to start gauging summer travel and vacation kind of things and concert sales and stuff like that, that, you know, are big ticket items in the summer, but, but well, we got two, two big, uh, two big ones uh, coming this summer. 
the probably the two biggest uh, acts in the in the world are 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 going out uh, this summer. So that'll that'll who? Who? tell me who I don't know. I'm not. I don't know who. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want to know. <laughs> is this going to move the market? Is what the question. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yesterday, um, Beyonce announced that she's she's traveling, and then um, Taylor Swift is also. Um, oh yeah, yeah. In summer. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. are two names that even I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even, even I know those two names. I'm surprised the markets didn't go up on that news. Exactly. You yeah. know that will that will drive a lot of sales. But yeah, it's just it's such an amazing. Yeah, it's the social experiment we've been in for the last three years and economic experiment of it all. But but we just there's so many weird, conflicting things, you know, as I've joked with you guys before, not not being an expert in in finance to the extent you are. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's this amazing job market number in the stock market just went way down. (laughs) Like, like, wait, I thought that would be a good thing. Um, But but I mean, I'm starting you guys have taught me enough about that to understand it at this point. But. But um, but the consumer, I think, is still pretty good. You know, it's not yeah. great. There's going to be some ups and downs and they do watch the news. And, you know, the if it bleeds, it leads and all that sort of stuff. So it's hard to it's hard to separate the PR from the reality. Yeah. The but today. I, I kind of have this theory and your data might uh, support it. Like we don't have an economy. We have like 10 economies, you know, and, and they're uncorrelated. Like housing's going down. But, you know. Disney World's going up, like right it, services. And, and you you can have some things not do well, and some things do quite well, and they they average out. Um, so I think people get a little too caught up in um, whether we're in a recession or not, and it's more important to focus on each individual sector. Right, right. Well, and, and incidentally, the, this week's ESI, the confidence in buying a new home, out, the outlook for buying a new home actually improved a bit. Yeah. Like I, think there, I think this consumer feels like we kind of hit the bottom of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so we may not we may not skyrocket back up. But yeah, and mortgage rates are I think they're, they're, they're in the fives now, which is a big deal. You know, yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting mix. One other thing about jobs is we've been doing a lot of analysis on kind of job satisfaction, mobility intent, like am I looking for a new job? And you know, the what's what's uh jumped off the off the page for me is the disparity between sort of job satisfaction among people who work in a uh, in person in a physical location versus people who work fully remote. Mm-hmm. And job satisfaction and happiness among fully remote workers is significantly lower than people who are actually in person work. Yeah, there's some like mental well-being some yeah. social elements to that. What one of that we published a study a couple of weeks ago about sort of of how much um, friendships have been in decline over the last three years, like net mm-hmm. loss of friends, and that a big part of that is I'm not going into the office and making friends, or yeah. you know, there's there's other elements of that too that maybe just relationships that fell off during quarantine and so on. But but those people who are working, it's almost un- unconscious, right? It feels like oh, I have all this flexibility in my life, but it's weighing on them emotionally in other ways. But when we ask them. When we ask people sort of what would what are you looking for in a new job, um, the in-person workers say I'm looking for more pay. The already at home remote workers are looking for more flexibility. So, you know, it's, just, it's, not, it's still not good enough for them yet. So good, good, good luck finding a job that pays you more that's even more flexible than already letting you work at home all the time. You know? <laughs> Um, but that's also, you know, I think people who are maybe that could be influencing our 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 job um, ESI numbers is that like, 
yeah, there's probably not a lot of better work out there anywhere for me. So I don't feel like there's, I have a lot of mobility at the moment to get, you know, everything I want out of my job. Um, but no, this is, uh, interesting times. And we saw some of that commentary, um, I think from Chamber of Progress with some of the big tech layoffs saying there are lots of tech jobs out there, just not in the big tech companies. And so you're going to you're going to have job opportunities. They're just going to look different from what you have now. And, you know, that's sort of what you have to roll with right now. Yeah. I mean, gourmet lunches cooked for everybody in the company every day and in, you know, in-house <laughs> masseuses and all that sort of stuff that uh, we've probably seen the end of those days for. Well, so back to our Long Island iced tea of economic news. Um, Brendan, John, Bry, we had lots of central bank moves this week. Um, John, do you want to kick us off with the Fed? Yeah, the Fed was expected to downshift from 50 basis points to 25 basis points in their rate hiking campaign. And uh, and they did. And uh, that was accompanied by some, I think it's fair to say, some mixed messages from uh, Fed Chair Powell. Uh, you know, some would say the critics would say a little bit garbled <laughs> and uh, the markets, because of that sort of raw shark test uh, kind of uh, ink blot <laughs> communication strategy that Fed Chair Powell put out there, the markets heard what they wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there was a great focus on the downshift itself, uh, the expectation, the more balanced uh, commentary that Fed Chair Powell put out there about the economy. And, you know, there was a little bit of, a, I think, from a market's perspective, perhaps sort of a gloss over his, you know, commentary that there's still work to be done and rate hikes are going to continue. We see the biggest, you know, the biggest disparity in the markets right now, or one of the biggest disparities in the markets right now, is the Fed's insistence that they are nowhere near cutting rates and they are going to hold, they are going to continue hiking and hold rates high for an extended period of time until inflation is back in the box. Uh, and the markets are pricing in rate cuts as early as later this year, and uh, and and that was you know, and and Fed Chair Powell did not succeed in talking markets out of that expectation. Yeah, I feel like that's a big theme right now. Is like markets, you know, it's like we don't believe you. Yeah, if you're getting your bluff called like that, you know that that's not where the Fed wants to be necessarily. Well, I think I think it's it's weird because on the one hand, you know, they've he staked out this position of like job's not done, you know, we're going to be at this level for a while until we're reasonably confident that inflation's heading downwards. But then they also say that all the decisions are data dependent. So why not just, so why, why, why telegraph months out what you think is going to happen when if every meet, if, if meeting by meeting, you look at the data you've had for that meeting and then decide, just say that, like, don't, don't predict or don't, because I feel like if they do have to do a climb down or change course, it makes it look like they folded or changed their minds where no, it's just the data came in saying something and then they reacted to the data. So just, I, I would just stick to the data dependent line and not try and, you know, jawbone the market by saying, oh no, we're going to, we're going to be at this point for a long time. Because if like two months from now, we get really, really good inflation data that shows a faster decline than expected, they have to react to it. Right. Like, so it's like, well, I don't understand this determination to like predict what they're going to do when it could just like, Stay data dependent and leave it at that. Yeah, and it, and it, and that really feeds the perception in the markets that the Fed is kind of overstating the case, right? They're doing a bit of performative hawkishness, right? <laughs> and uh, the the exactly. the dots are here because it's the old, you know, as uh, the, the Kentucky windage, right? If you've got the wind blowing, you want to aim a little bit to the other side of the target uh, if you uh, if you're really going to hit it. Um, and uh, and so that that I think is is fueling some of the perception uh, in the market that the Fed is sort of, you know, not 
you know, market participants sort of watching what they do rather than what they say. Yeah. Well, and so what's the what's the corollary story happening elsewhere? I mean, we had rate hikes at Bank of England, um, at ECB. Um, how are markets reacting to those? Is it a similar story? Brian, what, what are you hearing or what are you seeing? Well, I mean, I think the, the Bank of England made it explicitly clear that they were going to pause for a little bit and assess how things stand. I think also the UK is in a very different situation to the United States in that the economic economic risks are a lot higher. Yeah. Odds, of, odds of recession are a lot higher. And so I think it's prudent um, central banking for them to say, you know what, we've, we will we'll kind of hold position and ensure that we don't add to existing problems that the country is facing and just kind of you know get a sense of of where things proceed from here. So I I think they've been very they, they've been very explicit that they're gonna sort of hold their hold and 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 see which, which way things go. I think the the, the country is dealing with enough problems as it is without them adding to it by hiking rates to an untenable degree. Yeah and the ECB is essentially you know they're they're forging ahead and uh, expectation is for more rate hikes. Uh, but you know the the anticipation is that if the Fed is tapering and uh, and and pausing their uh, their rate hike campaign over the next couple of meetings, that gives a lot of leeway to other global central banks to follow suit. And uh, and it's you know without their their currencies. Remember last year, you know one of the problems was the Fed was just so aggressive that uh, other currencies were falling out of bed, and you could see those accidents in the market happening in the UK. Uh, and uh, you could see some real, you know, shivers running down the spines of traders looking at, you know, Italian bonds. Some of these, like uh, some of these pain points that have persisted in markets, coming back to the fore. And uh, and the, you know, the end of the Fed's, the Fed is still global, you know, the global central bank. Uh, and uh, and it's, uh, you know, the fact that it's the peak rates are, are at least in sight here uh, takes a lot of pressure off other central banks. And uh, even if you know the the inflation numbers in the in the EU are, are you know less encouraging than they are in the US, uh, and there's an expectation that the ECB has still you know further to go, that isn't isn't mirrored by the same kind of market stress that we saw last year. Um, one last question, taking us back to the jobs report and the Fed, and then we'll take a break. I mean. Speaking of mixed economic messages, what should people be thinking about, you know, with the Fed strategy going forward in the jobs report? We have big jobs numbers, but as y'all noted, wages, you know, aren't red hot, at least in this last report. So what does that mean for future rate hikes? Yeah, Brian, what do you what do you think? I mean, the market had priced in what one more, one more 25, and then and then we're gonna start uh cutting. So I think that narrative is is changed after today. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I still think they do. They do at least one more. Um, it, it's just, it's just surreal to me that we're we're in a world now where a strong jobs report is bad news. <laughs> it's just, I'm still like having the hard time wrap my head around. Like, no, man, I still, I still remember. Like, I'm a child of the 08 crisis, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. a report this strong would have like people dancing in the streets and you know be like mission accomplished. So, it's this is a surreal moment. But I do think it, it is helpful that we're not seeing um, a complementary jump in wages. I do think, and I, I, I personally disagree with this approach, but I do think the Fed is looking at wage inflation as a as a as one of the, its gauges of how things are going in its fight to bring um prices down or the, the pace of price increases increases down so i think i don't think this report would give them cause for concern 
I think I'd be more worried if the you know plus five hundred and seventeen jump in jobs was matched by you know like plus exactly plus six percent or plus seven percent increase in yeah. wages. Mm-hmm. This, this literally was a, a Goldilocks number. You yeah. know, the the economy is still doing fine, but we're not seeing wage uh, spirals. And I think it links to the comment you made, Brendan, about like it, it's not one economy. And I think in the same way, it's not one economy; it's not one jobs market. I, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah, like we look at it and we say, "Oh, this many jobs are added," but they didn't hire. We didn't all hire half a million investment bankers, right? Or half a million, <laughs> yeah. right? Or yeah. half a million consultants. So, like, not everyone is getting paid the same amount, right? Yeah. So I think we're still doing catch up on the leisure and hospitality. You know? Exactly, it got shut down for two years. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's it's still lagging the pre pandemic levels. So I, I think based on that, I don't think the Fed will look at this and think, oh, we need to return. And also uh, prime age participation rate went up. That's huge. We, we need people to keep coming back into the we don't have enough workers. We, we need people. We talked about it last week. Uh, we yeah. need people to come back to the, to the labor market. And that is starting to happen, which is, is tremendous. Yeah, I mean, the, the participation rate has barely budged for how many years now? Right. Yeah. I mean, we've been stuck yeah. in the mid 60s for a long time now. And so I think based on that as well, I, I I don't view this as a report that would push the Fed to aggressively start hiking rates again. All right, great. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss earnings and start talking about everybody's favorite topic in DC, the debt ceiling. <laughs> Every two weeks, Penta measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations toward the economy. The Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index, powered by Penta, accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us at pentagroup.co. All right, and we're back with the macrocast. Let's jump in and talk earnings. We had some earnings um, come out last week, but a lot of big earnings this week. Um, John, what are we seeing across different sectors? Yeah, this week was a, just a murderer's row of uh, of big tech companies, and uh, you know that that was the story for third quarter earnings was just dismal tech results, and uh, and you know markets were getting getting a little getting a little uh, maybe <laughs> maybe a little complacent. You got a good number from uh, Netflix. You got solid Tesla earnings, and then <clears throat> you know Microsoft wasn't great, but it was it was okay. And uh, and then earlier this week, you got Meta, Facebook, still called yeah. Facebook, um, <laughs> knocking it out of the park. And uh, and so that led, you know, that 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 got everybody pretty excited uh, about, uh, you know, a big a big tech rally. Tech stocks are up a ton this year already. And, yeah, uh, and then last night we got Amazon. 20 percent. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We got, And then last night we got some kind of like, you know. Not so great, disappointing. You know, not real clangers, but uh, a little bit soft uh, on the uh, on the demand side from Apple. Uh, we saw the same kind of story from Amazon, and uh, and when it came to Google's ad results, you know, it wasn't wasn't great shakes. So these are not like collapsing by any stretch of the imagination. They're down a little bit overnight, and this is as you said, Stratton. This is after really you know gaudy kind of double digit gains so far this year and uh you know that's that's coming off a pretty pretty lousy year last year so uh you know the contextualizing these this price action is 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 important but you know essentially we we don't have the same story as last quarter which was you know dramatic and and startling uh deterioration in big tech um profits and uh and earnings and you know this is 
this is, you know, we're in this phase where earnings across the board have sort of neither confirmed nor denied um, that uh, that the U.S. economy is going into recession. And uh, and that's, you know, mixed bag is good enough when you have other positive atmospherics like inflation rolling over and going in the right direction and the Fed beginning to uh, finish off their uh, the rate hike cycle. So stocks have had a great year so far and earnings season hasn't knocked them off their line yet. Yeah. And you had a, a terrible year last year. So everything's relative, you know. Well, it seems like the 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 one sector that's definitely throwing a ticker tape parade, though, is uh, oil and gas, right? That was the bright spot last year. And uh, so one of the things that we've seen this week, it's pretty notable, actually, in price action is the, you know, uh, oil prices have just declined to, uh, you know, participate in this big risk asset rally. And, uh, you know, whether you're talking about the excitement of when the oil bulls have really gotten, you know, the bit in their teeth uh, last year at certain points, you know, with uh, with the disruption in supply uh, from uh, around uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, OPEC uh, cutting supply. And uh, and then, you know, the story was supposed to and then that story really came off. Uh, and uh, and this year, the big upside impetus was supposed to be around China's reopening. Well, we've seen oil just kind of going sideways, languishing, yeah, kind of near, you know, recent yeah. lows uh, and uh, and and being uh, you know unable to get any sort of upside. That's great from, you know, if you're the Biden administration, you're the consumer you know, at the pump. This is really good news. Uh, it, it feeds that sort of Goldilocks narrative. Uh, that's taking hold in markets right now, but it is, uh, it's certainly worth noting. Well, I thought that was, uh, that reminded me that was an interesting one out of Starbucks earnings, right? Is um, they pointed most of their, you know, their, their misses and their targets to the closures because of the explosion of COVID in China. Yeah. And this is, and this is where, you know, the, the China bulls are are figuring that this exit wave that is uh, that was just bound to happen when they threw open, you know, the uh, the the restrictions and, and basically just turned COVID zero um, on its uh, on its head in a very short period of time. There was always going to be a big spike in cases. And, you know, the expectation is that once that plays through, you know, maybe by early spring, perhaps China is going to be back in business in a really serious way. But, you know, we're still in this kind of. Uh, you know the, this this difficult period uh, of of getting through uh, getting through that exit wave. You know, on the other side of it, you know, we've we've seen these in recent years. We've seen these stories of China stimulus before, and uh, and it's always been more headline than than uh, than result. And uh, and we're wary of the same. Uh, you know, a repeat. We've got next week. We've got Chinese credit data coming out. Credit data is usually where you see you know, just how big a push the government is making, uh, how concerted an effort they're making to reflate their economy. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how those numbers stack up against expectations. Let's shift gears uh, to DC from Wall Street. Um, so obviously, we've seen some progress in the debt ceiling negotiations. McCarthy and President Biden had a big summit, um, but I think still a lot of details not out there on the table. Brian, do you want to kick us off and tell us where we're at and what you're thinking about and the look ahead? Well, so it, it seems like you know we had an initial meeting between um, Leader McCarthy and President Biden this week. Um, it seemed to have gone cordially, but again, these things always start off cordial before the the, the gloves <laughs> come off. Um, so it, it, it seemed like I think just to give folks a quick recap, when discussions around raising the debt ceiling first started, I think Democrats staked out a line about they want a clean debt limit increase, mm-hmm. um, while House Republicans 
where wanted to combine the any negotiations negotiations to raise the debt limit with talks around spending reductions, especially in um, non-defense spending. And I think while the White House initially said, no, let's do a clean debt limit increase and then we can talk about reducing spending, based on um, what came out of the meeting between Biden and McCarthy, it does appear that we will get some sort of negotiating where where Biden might contemplate some spending reductions in exchange for raising the debt limit. The question is, will Democrats in both the House and Senate go along with that? And will we'll be able to like enforce some discipline? And also the question is then on the on for McCarthy, what sort of deal can he strike that will be acceptable to, I guess, for lack of a better word, the right wing elements of his party who want mm-hmm. deep cuts um to be made? So I think I think it's it's still too early to predict um, which direction it will go. Um as someone who covered this when we almost got to the brink in 2011, um I I I I've yet to see any flamethrowers to the extent that of the like of the <laughs> cruises and whatnot who who were really like you know detrimental to the to the to talks in, in in the past. So far it seems like everyone is letting the two leaders talk and hash it out. But I'm curious to see this the sort of role that the Senate plays. Um, McConnell so far has seemed to okay. yield has yielded the floor to McCarthy to mm-hmm. take the lead on talks. Uh, you imagine eventually though the, the Senate Republicans will want to have a say in how things stand. Obviously, Chuck Schumer will want to have a, a, a say as well. So, yes, I think, you know, I no alarm bells are ringing just yet, but, you know, time will tell. Yeah. I just I just get worried. Irrelevant of what people want, when you only have a five-seat majority, it's just very difficult to, 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 to corral people, you know? You only have a couple people that, that, that can blow things up. Uh, so I I think we end up getting it done, but I think it's going to be a lot scarier even than it was in back in uh, what it was 2011. Right? Isn't yeah, isn't that sort of the risk? Is we've been through this and people are sort of numb to it, and they think, well, it's going to get dumb. Well, but well, like, John has a good story, you know, from the his time at the Treasury. Yeah, yeah, during one of these episodes, we got a message when I was running the markets analysis unit at Treasury. They had uh, word came down from Capitol Hill, uh, the Democrat side, you know, that <laughs> wondering why markets weren't taking the debt ceiling risk more seriously and kind of making the point that it would be helpful if they if markets were selling off a little bit more, expressing a little more fear that would focus minds on the other side, give them a sense of the consequences and potential consequences of this. Uh, and what, you, you know, the, the, the answer to that is, you know, markets just have seen this movie before. It's a boy who cried wolf, right? <laughs> you can't orient your portfolio around debt ceiling risk uh, if you've just seen again and again. It's very, a lot of headlines. And at the 11th hour, they get, you know, they they come to some sort of solution. And uh, and that, so almost by definition, based on past experience, markets are going to be, you know, on the side of complacency, on the side of assuming, you know, a, uh, once again, an 11th hour fix. So I, I'm going to ask sort of the trillion dollar question here, Brian, maybe you can take this one, is if you're taking defense spending off the table, and we've also seen taking Social Security and Medicare off the table, like do you either do either. <laughs> what exactly look, can you cut? Right. Are you and I guess my question is, do you lower your ambition for how much you can cut? Right. Like maybe you can cut tens of billions, but you're not cutting hundreds of billions. Um, I mean, or do those things actually get back in play? Well, so, and and you're right, and that's this is why this is so frustrating because you can't you can't say I want to cut spending, but then have like sacred cows that that, can't, that will not be touched, 
right? Like you, know, you can't have it both ways. And so I think what ends up happening is maybe maybe the word cut is not the right adjective. Maybe they just freeze spending, right? And like so they say that we want to freeze spending yeah. 2022 levels, right? And then so that so it's not going up, but it's not going down. I think that might be more realistic than finding actual cuts um somewhere. So I think I I, I might I might I could be mistaken. I think that might be what McCarthy's opening gambit was is to mm-hmm. freeze spending at last year's levels um, rather than adding to them. So, yeah, I think that that would make more sense. Because to your point, once you take Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid and defense off the table, wait, wait, where are you going to find trillions of, of of cuts? I just don't see that being possible. So I think freezing makes more sense than cutting. No, that's a great point, because then I guess you can always take a CBO projection and say, you know, compared to baseline 10 years out, we've saved $800 billion or whatever the number might be. Exactly. That's a really important point because we spent so much during the pandemic that just from optics, we're going to spend less. So you, you can <laughs> kind of take your win by just, you know, like not spending a trillion dollars in, in. Right, well, right. The White House had a moment on that last year, didn't they? Where it's like, oh, the 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 deficit this year dropped by a trillion dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, guys, what's next? What should we be looking out for next week and the rest of the month? Um, we have a, a fairly quiet week next uh, week in terms of the data. Um, I was actually just looking at it. Um, yeah, we got U.S. consumer sentiment. We mentioned China credit. Uh, we also get China inflation, uh, EU retail sales, German industrial production, Australian inflation, um, State of the Union speech. Um, and uh, Oh, and- Yeah. Well, yeah, Secretary in, of State Blinken was supposed to go to China, but uh, the balloon, the balloon <laughs> has preempted his trip. I think he's the headline said he just canceled it or postponed it because of the spy balloon. I mean, if, if I were to make a case for cutting defense spending, the fact that we can't guard against a hot air balloon. <laughs> question, what, what are we spending money on? Right. Like foiled by a hot air balloon. All these radars, all these I know hot air balloon can just. We're just going to let it go. It's great. <laughs> it's bumping to me. I'm like, but I'm also like, on the flip side, if you're trying to like, is this 1912? You know, no, like, I mean, I say I'm like, I'm pretty sure, like, pretty sure they did this in like the Franco-Prussian War. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, like, exactly. This was the innovative exactly. technology then. Did they not think we would see it? <laughs> I mean, maybe they don't care. Maybe like to the to like to the point that like, I think a news article made shooting it shooting it down might be dangerous for those below. So maybe that's... Yeah. They, they, I mean, they found but also, balloon. like, you can just go on Google Earth and see the same thing that this stupid balloon is, is showing you. Yeah. yeah, it's... it's Yeah, it's... it's oof, yeah. All right. I can honestly say I didn't expect us to end on balloons, but I'm happy. <laughs> <to be there. laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to the Macrocast. I'm Stratton with Pinta. And thanks to John and Brendan of Markets Policy Partners, as always, for hosting. And John and Bri, our special guests, for joining us today. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 